Hello, welcome to another episode of Off the Wire Podcast. This is Matt Wireman, and I have the privilege of Dr. Richard Blackaby uh, on this episode of Off the Wire. And um, as I was sharing with Dr. Blackaby just a moment ago, the, the impetus for this podcast is really to think through life theologically. And, and in fact, all of us to some degree are theologians, all of us to some degree, uh, what we think about God, as A.W. Tozer said, uh, makes all the difference in how we are to live our lives because he is the most important uh, being and how we think about him will affect all matters. And so uh, Dr. Blackaby serves as the president of Blackaby Ministries International, uh, headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and he uh, is a traveling man. I've, I've been talking with him that he is traveling about 60% of the time. And in fact, I'm, uh, I consider myself really privileged to be able to talk with him today because he is traveling to uh, Thailand. Is that what you say, Thailand tomorrow? That's right. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. I am uh, very grateful. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about leadership, specifically about spiritual leadership. You wrote a book, uh, a book by the by the same title, and so we're, a lion's share of our conversation is going to be a, about what is spiritual leadership. And so just to begin our time, Dr. Blackaby, I'd love to um, have you just share a little bit about your story of how you came to know Christ, and then just even part of your journey to, to where you are now serving as the president, president of Blackaby Ministries International. Sure. Well, I was born in a pastor's home. Uh, my dad was a Baptist a pastor, and so Every, my earliest memories are of being at church every Sunday, church being a very important part of my life and uh, hearing my dad preach. Uh, I think I, I, I'm not quite sure how old I was when I was first led into the services every week, but I was, it was quite young. And, uh, and I, I just remember listening with rapt attention and coming under the awareness of my dad kept talking about Christ dying uh, for the sins of humanity and, I began to realize uh, that meant me. He died for me, but I also knew that I had not uh, taken care of what I needed to to be sure that I was forgiven. And and as a young boy, I was uh, I remember just being in some torment. Uh, we'd have an altar call every Sunday, and I, I knew I needed to make some things right. I, I but uh, I was young. I was scared, and uh, I didn't really ever talk to my dad directly about it. I just. I just began to agonize every altar call, knowing I needed to make a decision, and uh, and I was scared. And uh, but then I just remember uh, one day when I was uh, seven, just uh, just suddenly my it's like my feet just rebelled and said, "We're going, we're going to the front and getting this thing settled, <laughs> ready or not." And I was halfway down the aisle before I knew what was happening, and. Uh, <laughs> blubbered and cried and just but I just wanted so much to be right with God I, I wanted uh, not to be uh, an enemy of God uh, uh, someone that had not received salvation and and I and so that was a huge moment for me and uh, I began a journey uh, that I've never looked back on I've always uh, felt very assured that uh, we I settled some things in my heart that day with the Lord and um, years later I felt God calling me to be a pastor and I was uh, I was in my first year of university, and I was I was struggling with that. I I wasn't I wasn't opposed to living the Christian life, but uh, I just knew that leaders and particularly pastors had a higher standard in some ways of of living and walking with God. And uh, and I just wasn't sure I was ready to pay that price. I'd watched my parents do that. We left 
California and got moved to Canada. And, and so most of my growing up was in a mission field and I'd seen the sacrifice involved there. And uh, I just wasn't sure I, I wanted to be quite that serious about God. And uh, when I was uh, 18, God just uh, let me experience a very, I would say terrifying experience. <laughs> One of the worst, most terrifying experiences of my life where God just made it very clear what life could be like if I was living in disobedience to him. Mm. And I just decided then and there that um, I never wanted to be in that place again, where uh, I, I could, I was vulnerable uh, to living life my own way in my own power with my own wisdom. And uh, I'd seen what, what that could lead to. So I, I settled that surrendered uh, to ministry would, would you would you would you mind sharing what what that what that was exactly? Well, uh, no, the the terrifying part that you want to. I can. Uh, yeah, w what happened was uh, I was still going to church, and I was, uh, uh, you know, I I was basically a good Christian uh, college student. I just I just didn't want to be too serious with God, and I certainly did not want to surrender to His call to ministry. I was just trying to have a good time and have fun as a, for a freshman in college. And uh, one, one night, uh, it was a Saturday night, it was probably uh, 11 o'clock at night or so, uh, a, a good friend of mine was in great distress. And I, I, would, I wouldn't say he was, um, I wouldn't say he was necessarily demon possessed, but I would say he had the demonic all over him. I mean, mm -hmm. he had dabbled in the demonic and, uh, and had you mean like actually like tried to do some divination and stuff like uh, that you know he'd been playing around with uh stuff and he had uh, been listening to a lot of very uh, dark kind of music and uh, okay. uh -huh. it's just kind of opened his heart and mind to stuff that was a lot uh bigger than he he was <laughs> counting on. too big for his britches <laughs> yeah and so he he came he came to my house late night he's just terrified at what was happening in his uh -huh. life uh, and basically just wanted me to help him get, he just felt, you know, oppressed is how I would probably call it. Just, uh, uh, and so, uh, I, my two brothers just under me were I called them in. There was four of us. And I basically prayed the best prayer I could for his release and freedom to be set free from this. And, uh, I've, I've never felt, uh, I've never prayed a prayer that felt so powerless as that. It's like I'd been kind of ignoring God and living my life on my terms. And when suddenly I was in desperate need of God answering my prayers, it was like God said, who are you? You know, what? We haven't talked for so long. Uh, what, what's this about? And yeah, yeah. I just, I just felt as if God, there was just no power there. And by this time it was, my friend is just, he's, he's getting worse. He's white as a ghost. He's trembling. He's uh, he's like frozen. He can't move. He's just his teeth are all uh, his jaw is all just uh, uh, fixated and, and stiff. And uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't know what all was going to happen, but I I I, I didn't want to be there when it did. So I I remember finally it's two thirty in the morning, and I and we lived at I still lived at home then. So I went upstairs. My dad I still my dad was the pastor still. And I knocked on his bedroom door and woke him up and said, Dad, I need you to hmm. I need you to help me. I need you to get out of bed. 
it's 2.30 on Sunday morning. And he's like, well, Richard, can it wait till the morning? I'm like, what time is it? I said, Dad, no, I, I really need you to get up. Mm. And I, I've got a friend who really needs help. And uh, so he said, well, well, have him come into the living room. And so my dad, from a dead sleep at 2 in the morning, pulls on his house coat puts on his slippers and goes out to the living room. And by this time, my two brothers, our friend couldn't even walk at that point. And so he's so stiff. He's just like gone. I don't know how to describe it, except my two brothers had to literally carry him all the way up the basement stairs, drag him across the kitchen floor, just sort of prop him in a chair in the living room. And then we got out of there. We, well, this, my brothers and I went back downstairs. We didn't we'll let dad handle this. Yeah, whatever's going to happen. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I want to be on a different floor. And so we went down and, and a little while later, hmm. my dad called down to us, uh, just said, boys, come upstairs. And so I, we came upstairs not knowing what we would find. But uh, first, we, we immediately looked to our friend and he just had this look of absolute calm on his face. He hmm. just completely set free. Uh, and so my, I never forget, my dad just, now it's like 3.30 in the morning. My dad just said, boys, sit down. So we all sat down to have a, a meeting at 3.30 on Sunday morning. And he just, Dad basically just said, uh, boys, you, you never want to get yourself in a place where someone really needs you and mm. you're not in a, in, a, in a relationship with God where you can be of any help. Mm. So if someone needs you to pray for them. You, wanna, you don't need to hurry and get your prayer life all caught up. So you, <laughs> you, need, you need to be caught up so yeah. that at any moment you can be of use. And so that basically what I realized was my friend almost suffered because my walk with God wasn't what it should have been. And mm-hmm. so I just, I, I made a commitment that night as did my brothers that we'd never again be so careless in our walk with God that mm-hmm. if someone needed us, we wouldn't be immediately in a place with God that we could be of help. And so I, I walked the aisle the next Sunday and said, I'm in, I'm not playing mm-hmm. games with God anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, interestingly, when I did that, I went forward and I, but the, one of my big things was I didn't want to speak in public. And so I, I'd just been resisting this call to ministry. Yeah. So I went up, my dad's a pastor. I said, dad, I've been running from God. I'm not going to run anymore. And I went and sat back down. In fact, I, I said to my dad, I said, well, dad, I, I think dad's or God's called me in the ministry. And my dad said, I've known that all your life, son. Hmm. I said, well, dad, if you've known all my life, why, why <laughs> you waited 19 years to talk to me about it. And he said, well, I wanted you to hear it from God first. Hmm. And so I, I went and sat back down. The, the dad closes out the service of the altar call. And then he says, folks, we've had a young man come forward this morning. I'd like him to share with you what. Uh, what <laughs> and you didn't want to speak. I, I'd already gone and sat down at the back of the auditorium. And he, he makes me stand up, which is the one reason I didn't want to be. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and, uh, and so I, in about a minute, I just said, Folks, I've been running from God. I'm not going to run anymore. Whatever he wants, I, I, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And sat down. Well, we're ready to close the service. And another college student speaks up in the, in the middle of the auditorium, just says, don't, don't stop yet. He said, uh, if Richard's been running from God, boy, I've been, I've been running even faster. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm ready to get right with God, too. And, uh, mm-hmm. and another guy stands up, says, well, I, God's been telling me I need to get baptized. And I, I've never done it. If these guys are getting right, I'm getting right, too. And, my dad, my dad said to the piano player, start playing the, <laughs> playing the music. <laughs> and, the, and the whole altar just filled up with people. 
Mm. Uh, probably four or five people are still in ministry today that surrendered at the end of that service. Mm. And, and, and so I, I saw with my own eyes that literally the, the first day that I got serious with God, a, a mini revival broke out in our church. Mm. And I realized by my not going with God where I should be going, in some ways it had been holding back others who weren't going there either. And uh, so anyway, that was, that was my call into ministry. And uh, if I just kind of said one last thing about that in summary, I've, since then I've been a pastor, I've been a seminary president. Um, and and each, each time God took me to a new role uh, and now leading a nonprofit, every time God's moved me, I felt entirely inadequate. Mm. Uh, I've, I've, I've gone to churches that were very dysfunctional, very broken, in great decline. I've gone to seminaries that were just a, in a mess. I've gone to a nonprofit that just really desperately needed a lot of, uh, of updating and change. Everywhere I've ever gone has needed major, major work when I got there. And, uh, and, and every time it's made me realize I, I couldn't still be the same person I was. Mm. I, needed, I needed to grow. And, mm. and that, that's really when I first uh, became fascinated with leadership. I, when, I, when I went to my first church, a church had experienced every imaginable disaster a church can experience from gross immorality to division to embezzlement to mm. incest uh, to, mm. to power brokering. Uh, and I just realized I just wasn't the leader these people needed. And mm. so I, I just began reading frantically, studying, asking <laughs> God to grow yeah. me. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, four years later, our church was the fastest growing church in our denomination. Mm. And then God called me to a seminary. And I'm, now I'm leading a bunch of PhD professors who are all older than me and more experienced than me. I'm the youngest guy on the entire payroll at the seminary. <laughs> And what, most what, of the what faculty seminary think, was, What seminary was that again? Called the Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary. In Alberta, it all but rebel, revolted because they were sure that hiring me as the president would destroy the school. And so I just kept growing and, uh, and, and learning and studying leadership even more fervently while I was there. Hmm. And then eventually I was called... Uh, to be the president of Blackaby Ministries International, where I am now. And, um, and I remember one of the first things I did was go and work with a bunch of CEOs. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to disciple them. All of them are leading companies that do roughly a billion or more dollars of business a year. Half the guys have, have flown into the meeting on a corporate jet. Uh, the first guy that I talked to, I said, uh, so I said, I assume you, well, I remember I talked to one guy. I said, well, what, what time are you leaving? Because I, I had a flight on United at that time that left at 1.30 uh, Friday afternoon after the meeting was over. I said, well, what time does your flight leave? And he looked at me kind of funny and said, when yeah. I get there. <laughs> so he, he said, I just texted my pilot and said, rev up the engines. I'll be over shortly. Wow. And I, just, I realized, okay, these guys, Lord, how, what, why would they get on a corporate jet Fly all the way to Dallas, Texas to hear anything I have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, one guy ultimately became the CEO of Walmart. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking, uh, these guys uh, don't waste their time. And I just don't think I've got what it takes to, to, to help these guys. Mm. And God just basically said, well, you don't yet, but you, you will if you let me keep growing you. Mm. So my whole life has been a study of leadership and how to grow personally. 
because I, I just am a firm believer that before God works through you, he works in you. And if you want God to do great things through you, you've got to be willing to let him do great things in you first. Mm. Mm. So what, what, uh, as, as you ask that question, like why, why are these billion, billion dollar company CEOs flying in? What, what has been your experience as to why they're taking the time knowing that you're going to be talking about spiritual, the spiritual side of leadership? Like what, what is it that they're um, after that they, that they, that they, well, um, these, these guys are typically Christians, or at least they, they, they perceive themselves to be Christians. So they're, you know, they have an interest in those things, but uh, they, they certainly don't fly in. Uh, so I can help them know how to increase sales. You know, they business, I, I'm not there to teach them business, but um, like one guy, and in, if you sign up to be in the class I teach, you come for three years. And so for three years, you, you fly in three times a year. Uh, and then you have a 10th class. It's a graduation. But I, there's one guy that flew in 10 times from Hong Kong all the way to Dallas. It's a 24-hour teaching time. And I mean, you start at noon on Thursday. You end at noon on Friday. And uh, he'd fly all the way from Hong Kong for a 24-hour period and then turn around and go home. And so, you know, first when you see these guys, um, and some of them are leading really famous companies, um, very, very, very well-known, some of them top 10 companies in America or in the world, um, you look at them and think, uh, well, who am I to tell these guys anything? They're used to everything being first class. And, uh, but what you, what you quickly realize though is, uh, I mean, they are very talented people, which, um, I've actually really grown to really enjoy working with these guys. I, you know, I, I remember I used to, I, I didn't do it often, but I had the cell, I had the email to the CEO, the former CEO of Walmart. And uh, I could, I could email the CEO of Walmart and within 15 minutes or less, I'd get an answer. Mm. I mean, this guy's running one of the biggest companies in the world and they are, they, they are obsessive compulsive about getting things done, you know? So I, I really like that, but um, I like that aspect. But what I did learn about a lot of these guys is that they struggle with things like, I mean, they don't struggle with making money, but they struggle with knowing God's will. Mm. Uh, they struggle with being a good dad, being a good husband. Mm. Like, uh, some of these guys, in fact, at one point I taught one class and everybody in the room is fabulously successful in a financial way. But uh, two, of the, two of the men in the room had had uh, daughters who committed suicide. Mm. And so they're, they're just kind of beating themselves up saying, Yeah, what did I do? I missed that, you know? I, what kind of dad am I? What kind of Christian man am I that uh, God, was God trying to alert me? Was he trying to warn me there was trouble? Mm. Uh, and so when these guys come in, what you realize is, even though they lead really big companies and they fly on corporate jets, <laughs> Uh, they they still wrestle with fundamental issues that every man, every woman wrestles with, and and wants to make sure they get right. And uh, when you've made enough money, and you've got a, you know, you've got a vacation home in uh, on the beach, and another one up in the mountains, and uh, and and you know, your life is uh, spent doing whatever you really want to do. At a certain point, you realize, but there's got to be more to life than just that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done kind of all the things I ever dreamed I'd want to do, and yet. I just feel like God put me on this planet for more than that. And it's my life. Uh, one guy said, I, I, I spent most of my adult life making the world successful. Mm. And 
I want to spend the rest of my life making the church successful. Mm -hmm. He said, the church has gone wanting while I've been helping the world be successful. But he said, now I really want to help the church accomplish what God wants for it. And uh, so it's been a real fun part of what I do. Probably about half my time at this point is spent with uh, business people, Christians uh, who are are saying, why did God give me these skills to uh, solve problems? these entrepreneurial instincts to see possibilities and, uh, and, to, and to work with people and mobilize them to accomplish great things. Uh, uh, could it be that God wants to use those very same skills to expand his kingdom as well? And, and so I, I spent a lot of time with uh, business folks, helping them mm-hmm. understand why God wired them and gifted them the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love for you to reflect a little bit on, um, what, what's part of your own story um, in your call to ministry, but then also overlaid with uh, your interactions with some of these really high power CEOs, but this, this kind of <laughs> in the back, always this sense of inadequacy or this yeah. sense of like, wow, I really don't measure up. Um, how, how do you walk somebody through that? Cause I'm, I'm sure that people listening to this podcast are going to be like, you know, I feel either I feel called to ministry, but I feel so inadequate, or I feel like God's calling me to something greater uh, to make a big impact in the world, but I feel so weak and inadequate. Can Can you just reflect a yeah. little bit on well, that? Well, you know, I remember years ago, I, my boy, I have two sons and then a daughter, and uh, my, well, all three of my kids, God ultimately called into one form of ministry or another. And all three of them really wrestled with it. They all said, well, dad, you know, I'm scared to death to speak in public or to, you know, do a lot of things that you do in ministry. And what, at one point I was talking to one of my sons. I just said, well, son, I said, you, like you, you spent a bunch of money to go bungee jump in when you were in Greece. Like you spent a fortune to go on the, the scariest roller coasters in the mm. theme park. Like, why do you spend money to scare yourself for, mm. for recreation but then when it comes to your calling, you wow. don't want to do anything that stretches you or, you know, intimidates you. I said, you, you, you got it all wrong. Like, why do you, why do you go to such efforts to scare yourself in a theme park? It's mm. because otherwise life can be really boring and dull and mundane. I said, so, <laughs> so uh, I said, when you follow God, God will not bore you with his huh. call uh, because he's going to call you to do God sized things. Like mm. God, if, if, if you could do it yourself, God wouldn't need to be involved. Uh, oh. the fact that God's involved is means that there's going to be a God sized dimension to it, which ought to scare you to death when you oh. understand what he's wanting to accomplish. He, the, the eternity of people is at stake here. That's massive. Mm. And, mm. and people's eternity may be hanging in the balance on how well you do what God called you to do. I, mm. You ought to be scared. I said, but, but what a way to live your life. I mean, what a way to live your life is not, I, I know lots of people, who are bored to tears with earning a living. Mm. And they live for Friday and they mm. dread Monday. Uh, I, I said to all my kids, I want you to find what God called you to do so that you're, you're kind of disappointed to see Friday come. Mm. You can hardly wait for Monday to roll around because w- when you go to work, it's not just to earn a living, it's to fulfill a calling. Mm. And, and, and so whenever you look at people like Moses or Gideon in the Bible, they're always they're always feeling inadequate because what God's asking them to do is way beyond them. Mm. But uh, de- delivering people uh, from darkness, from oppression, mm. uh, changing an entire society, creating nations. Um, but you know, but that's that's what it looks like when you follow God. We're not all going to 
you know, liberate a nation from, from enslavement. But, but anytime God wants to do something through your life, there's always God-sized dimensions to it. There's always eternal dimensions to it, which is way, way bigger than just earning a living. And so, you know, what I, when, when someone says, well, I, I, I'm, I'm scared that God may be calling me to do this or doing that. So don't be scared. Be delighted that God's actually calling you to do something that gets your heart racing, that makes it exciting to get up in the morning and, and fulfill your calling. Uh, and if, if your life is entirely predictable, and my dad used to say, if you, if you sense that uh, God's will for you is perfectly within your ability to accomplish, mm. you probably mm. got it wrong. Mm. Because there's, there's going to be an, an, an aspect to it. I mean, because it's, it's not in our strengths that we experience God, it's in our weakness. And so God's always trying to put us in a, in fact, Jesus, God said in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And yet we're always trying to navigate our life into a position where we don't need faith in order to live out our life, mm. where everything is within our budget. Everything's within our ability. We don't need faith to do that. I mean, no, it doesn't take faith to do what you're good at. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, it doesn't take faith to do what you can afford to do. Uh, and, but we, we try our whole life to, fun, to, to shape a life that does not require faith. And God said, well, then your life won't be pleasing to me. So God is always trying to push us into a position that requires faith, at least in some area of our life, mm. so we can be pleasing to him. And, but, but that scares us. We, uh, and the other thing to say with that is that uh, uh, you know, ministry and calling is not about us anyway. Uh, that, that's the thing I think that kind of got God a little impatient with Moses. God keeps telling Moses what he's going to do. And mm. Moses keeps complaining that he's inadequate. And yeah. God's like, well, it's not about you. You're yeah. inadequate. Yeah, you make so good. It doesn't matter how inadequate you are. You're not the one who's going to ultimately deliver them anyway. Yeah. This isn't like, about you. <laughs> so stop, stop worrying about you and just get your eye on me. You know? mm. and so mm. whenever I see a leader who, who complains too much about their inadequacy, I tell them, mm. you need to spend more time looking at God and less time at yourself because you know what, when, you, when you're in heaven and you see God upon his throne, whatever God tells you to do, you're not, then you won't be talking about your inadequacy because you're going to see God on his throne. Mm -hmm. And you realize as long as he's on his throne, I can do anything God tells me to do. Mm -hmm. but our problem in this life is we don't know God very well. So we end up talking way too much about our inadequacy mm -hmm. instead of about God's adequacy and his strength. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I mean, so just very practically, if, if somebody is struggling with inadequacy is sounds like step one is just become more convinced that what God is saying is true. And this is real. We're talking about eternity. We're, we're not talking about just getting people to, to uh, have a better life. We're talking about an eternal life. We're talking about some. So just that that would be one step one, so to speak, of just reading God's yeah. word and being more convinced that, that this you know, is true. A lot of people think of someone like Gideon, you know, he put out the fleece twice. Uh, but Gideon's problem was never that he didn't know what God was saying. You know, he knew <laughs> the first time what God was saying. That He didn't, he wasn't clarifying what God had yeah, told him. Yeah, he yeah. was just trying to Look ask for a way out. Again to work up the courage to actually do what he heard God tell him the first <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. And so I tell people, the, the, the first thing you got to do is just decide and determine what is it God's telling me to do. That's the important thing. Once you've got that down, 
now you're just like Gideon. You got to decide, am I going to do it right away? Am I going to, am I going to delay and argue? And, you know, when I, I, I hear people fairly often say, well, I'm sensing that God wants me to go on this mission trip or he wants me to enter this uh, line of work or go into this degree program at school, but I'm really resting with God about it. Mm. Someone said that to my dad one time and my dad, who's typically a fairly uh, polite Canadian, <laughs> he, just, he, uh, he just looked at the man, it was a pastor who said, I know what God wants me to do, but I've been wrestling. <laughs> my, dad, my dad looked at him and said, who do you think you're, you're, you're dealing with? Like, yeah. who do you, he said, who do you think God is? If you knew who God was, the thought of resting with him wouldn't even cross your mind. Mm. The fact is you have such a small view of God. Mm. You actually think you can argue with God after he tells you what to do. You you can say, well, God, I, I know what you told me to do, but I need to explain to you that you've made a mistake, that mm. I'm, I'm inadequate, that I don't have those skills. Uh, mm. When you know God as he is, you won't waste your breath trying to correct God's mistake and calling you in the first place. Mm. You, what you do instead is just say, then God, show me what it's going to take. Because I know in myself I'm inadequate, but I know that in you is all adequacy. So mm-hmm. just show me uh, what you're, how you're going to do that. That's, that's kind of the prayer of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. how is this possible? Yeah. Um, yeah. She's, not, she's not doubting uh, God or the angel. She's just saying, <laughs> so God, I know that humanly this is impossible. So tell me how it's going to happen. Tell me what you're going to have to do. And I think that's the prayer all of us should have uh, is, okay, that sounds impossible to me, just knowing myself and my limitations. So God, tell me how you're going to do it. What a way to live, to spend your whole life experiencing things that are actually impossible for you to do yourself. Yeah, you won't, you won't get bored. <laughs> no, not at all. I've, yeah. I've, I've had, you know, it's funny, I've, my kids and they were teenagers at times would come and complain about being bored. And I remember one time just looking at them funny and saying, I don't even know what that feels like. I don't, I can't remember the last time I was born. I have no memory of being bored. Mm. Uh, spent my entire adult life serving God. I've had times that slowed down. Thankfully, I got a chance to catch my breath, but I, I, I never, I never was bored. Um, and when, when you see Christians complaining of boredom, that, that's, you sh- you're showing me someone who desperately needs to listen to God and start getting on his uh, agenda instead of their own, uh, we, we play it safe all the time. God is not interested in helping you play it safe with your only, the only life you're ever going to have. Yeah. I mean, that's so good because you do talk to a lot of Christians and they seem to be encumbered by self encumbered yeah. by, Oh man, I've got so many issues. I don't know how to be a good parent. I don't need know how to be a good husband, all, all these things. And in, in, in there, it just seems that their, their whole world is turned in on themselves and, yeah. and, like you said, they're inadequacies. So, I mean, how, and how do you counsel somebody to get out of that boring world? So God speaking on those things, you know, my dad uh, is Henry Blackaby and he famously wrote the book experiencing God. And one of the first things, uh, one of the key truths in that whole book is that he, he just says, people are radically disoriented to God. We, he's, he said people are fundamentally self-centered mm. instead of God-centered. Mm-hmm. And you can always tell, just listen to what pronouns people mm. use when they're talking <laughs> about their life and their calling. If it's, I'm inadequate, I don't know what to do, I'm afraid, I don't think I can afford that, I've never done that before, you, you realize there's a very self-centered person. Mm. Uh, 
everything in their world revolves around them and their sense of adequacy, inadequacy, their funding or whatever else. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you, when you talk to someone and they, they constantly talk about, I sense God is leading me to do this and God is convicting me and God has opened this door and God is asking me to do this and God's word says this, uh, and God promised in his word that, uh, then you realize, now there's someone who's God-centered, mm-hmm. not self-centered. But it, it, it just, and my dad used to even just challenge people, even when he, he used to have a lot of college students in his church. And when people started saying, well, I'm, I just, I'm afraid, or I don't think I can do that. I, he would stop them and say, now I want you to rephrase that in a God-centered way, <laughs> in a self-centered way. Yeah. If you start to talk in terms of God mm. and what he's drawing, it's pretty hard to, you know, it, it changes the whole conversation. And so I've at times had to, my dad used to even do that when we'd have a business meeting. He'd, he would tell the people giving reports, I want you to give, if you're giving a financial report or a men's ministry report, missions report, just give it in terms of God being upon us through. And I'll tell you what, it changes how you report things if everything's based on God, not upon us and what we did or what uh-huh. we didn't. That- well, that, 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 that's so good because, you know, you, you hear a lot of times this idea of limiting or self-limiting beliefs. And a lot of times people counsel people, well, you just got to tell yourself that you can do it. And then you're limiting yourself. And, and what you're challenging people to do is to reorient the very orbit of how they're talking. It's not just about, okay, hey, you're limitless. It's talking about God's supply. And, and yeah, God, yeah. I wrote a book one time, uh, one of my favorite books actually called Unlimiting God. Mm. Just, you know, over and over again in the Gospels, it says, Jesus will say, well, let it be done to you according to your faith. Mm. Or it'll say, Jesus went to Nazareth, and it says he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Mm. I mean, it's obvious that so many times what God did was based on how much they, if they believed a lot, they received a lot. They didn't believe much. They didn't have much. And, uh, and so I, there is a sense in which God responds to what we're willing to trust him for. Mm. And so, yeah, I, you know, you have to be careful because there's a lot of uh, self-help sort of human centered, uh, uh, pep talks that are are still self-centered, you know, Mm. you can do anything that you believe you can do. Well, that's not necessarily true. You are limited. You know, there, (laughs) there is only so much you can do, uh, no matter how much you believe, you know, I used to, like I had one son that asked me one time if he I, he, I thought he could make it into the NHL uh, as a professional hockey player. He hadn't, he hadn't started out playing hockey as a young boy. He was way behind. I said, no, you can't. You, uh, I said, now you can have a lifetime of enjoying playing recreation hockey, but you'll never make the professional league. And my wife was a little upset at me not telling him he could do anything he put his mind to, but uh, it may now if he'd been six at the time, maybe he could have had a better shot at it, but not as a teenager, just starting out. So I, but I, but I wanted to say is, you know, we, we can't necessarily just do anything. We do have limitations, but God doesn't have limitations. So if, if what's going to happen in your life is not going to be based on how much positive thinking you did, but how much faith and obedience you had in relationship to what God told you to do. You can do anything that God tells you to do. God's never going to set you up to fail. God has more than enough resources to back up any command that he gives you. So any command he gives you, he's got all the resources available to make you successful. So, yeah, if God tells you to do it, then you can do anything. That's right. Uh, 
if you put your own mind to it and decide you just want this or that, well, then it's up to you and your resources to get that done. And you don't have enough money or skill necessarily to help yourself do everything that you might dream up to do. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to um, maybe, you know, as people are listening to this, to, to do a little exercise with them. I'd love for you, like, if somebody, if whoever's listening to this could pull out a piece of paper and what would you, if you were sitting with them having coffee, what would you tell them when, if they were to come to you and say, okay, I'm ready to take some notes. I don't have any dreams for my life or for what God has called me to do. I'm just, Hey, I'm just trying to pay my bills. I'm just trying to get on with life. Like how do you start to get them to step out of the mundane and step out of just kind of getting by and starting to dream pretty audacious things. I mean, what, yeah. what, what could well, they see, I don't, I don't, I don't know that you necessarily need to, you know, sometimes I have people say, well, you need to dream great dreams uh, or dream them for God. I'd say we, we don't live by dreams. We live by revelation. Mm. Revelation is God sharing his dream with us. Mm. I don't want to base my life on my dreams. I want to base my life on God's dreams for me. When God wired me the way he did, when God gave me the passions he did and the aptitudes and skills, uh, when he makes my heart sing, when I experience certain kinds of things, why did he wire me that way? Hmm. Why did, what was he thinking when he, he designed me to, to hmm. be really good at this or, or, or great at that? Yeah. He had a purpose. For, there's a purpose for everything God does. And so I would say, what was God dreaming? when he put me on this planet and he wired me the way he did. He wired me differently than my brothers and my sister. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's given me different experiences. Why is God taking me down this path? And why is he mm -hmm. put these people around my life? And why is it that I just am so fascinated about this? So, mm -hmm. you know, so you can ask, you can ask a self-centered question or a God-centered question. You can say, mm -hmm. well, what is it, you know, what are your dreams or what is it you'd like to yeah. do? That's a very self-centered thing. When I, when I say, well, why would God have done this? What do you sense God is doing in your life right now? Mm. Uh, and, and so if, uh, so two things I'd ask them, one is, you know, I'd ask them that I'd say, well, so what has God put in your life? I mean, you know, when, when, when he comes to Moses and says, I'm going to use you to deliver the Israelites, Moses says he's inadequate. It can't do it. And of course that famous question, God asked him, well, what's that in your hand? Yeah. What, it, what have I put in your hand for the last 40 years, mm. Rob? Mm. You've learned how to shepherd people in a, a, or sheep in a wilderness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all that stuff I put and trained you to do and now use it for my kingdom. Uh, and so one of the first questions I'd ask people is, so what's God put in your hand? Mm. What experiences, what successes, what abilities? That, that rod represented 40 years of Moses skill building, experience, mm. relationships, knowledge uh and god says none of that was wasted you you think for 40 years you've been wasting your life you were in my school for 40 years preparing <laughs> to be a shepherd only yeah. you thought it was just a shepherd's sheep i that the sheep were just preparation to shepherd an entire nation in the wilderness so the, the first question would be so what's god put in your hand well whether it's experiences skills uh whatever it might be but a second thing i would say is you know, uh, God, God rarely just gives you a big assignment one day. I mean, you're, you're just kind of doing a bunch of, of nothing stuff. And then one day God says, okay, let's deliver a nation. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Typically, the, the way God works is he says, if you're faithful in a little, I'll give you more. 
Mm. So my, my other question always is, sometimes we keep dreaming about the more, mm. but we haven't been faithful with the little. And so I'd say, well, so what is the little? Like sometimes we, what we're, our problem is we can't imagine the more, you know, we can't imagine the end yeah. game. So it's like, well, I just don't know where I'm headed or what I'm doing. I said, well, don't think about that. You don't need to worry about that. What, what's the little? What, what's, what's right now? Yeah. What's in front of you? And and are, are you, are you knocking, yeah. And are you knocking that out of the park? You know, you might just be, you might be an usher. You might be teaching a children's Sunday school class. Uh, you might just be a student in a Sunday school class. But I mean, do you participate? Are you, you know, I, I remember when I went to seminary to train to be a, pastor when i was in college i actually did a lot of preaching but but i moved down to texas to southwestern seminary at that time it had like five thousand students it had the highest enrollment it ever had and you just couldn't get a job preaching anywhere or let alone being a pastor mm. and so i i got down there i at first i couldn't even find a, a sunday school class to teach all i could do is just attend a class and so mm. i so i'm attending a, a class and and it was this big singles or it was a young married department and you, you went to this big uh, assembly time, and then they divided you up into five smaller classes. And I got assigned into a class by a teacher that was was not a very good teacher. He, in fact, well, he, he might have been, except he worked all night long in a graveyard shift, came straight to church, exhausted, mm-hmm. had, his, had his quarterly in his lap, trying to just read the lesson in front of us and tell, and, and leading, it was, it was off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, everybody else would visit that class once and then just go to another small group and get out of that guy's class. <laughs> but I felt like he, but he, but he did a smart thing. He invited me and my wife to his house and his wife's house for lunch and <clears throat> got to appreciate them as, and, and we just couldn't, we just couldn't bear to just, you know, not go back to his class. He, he'd see us, you know, and not going back. So we, so we decided, well, let's just try to help this guy out. <laughs> So every Sunday, it would be the most boring lesson, but I'd try to be really engaged. I'd be, you know, he'd ask terrible questions, and I'd try to turn the question around to make it a little bit better, (laughs) make it more interesting, and try to pretend like I I was really engaged. And, and, you know, we just faithfully, we, we, sometimes there's only one other couple in there besides me and my wife and the teacher and his wife. And, and I'm, I'm hearing some of the other groups with a dozen or more people in them. and, And we're, you know, we're killing ourselves trying to be faithful. Well, eventually that guy graduated from seminary and he moved away. Oh, he, he was a, I didn't know that he, so he was a yeah, seminary guy. He's, he's a seminary student. He's just, he's putting himself through school by working graveyard shift. So he leaves. And so uh, everybody in the class was a seminary student then. So the, the other two couples are both seminary students too. But uh, so, so that, so the director comes to the super, the, the director of the department comes to me and he says, Richard, you've been so faithful, you and your wife, you come every week, you always are positive, you're always uh, encouraging. Would you, would, would you be willing to take over this little class? Well, a, a third of the membership has left with the teacher leaving. That was only one, one other couple of us. And so I said, well, okay. I mean, just be my wife and two other people, but okay. So, that works. so, I, 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 so I, at first, I was just trying to be a faithful church uh, class attender. Mm. Now I'm now God has given me more. He said, "Be a, te- a teacher with this very small class." So I so I started teaching, and and at first I really did a bad job. My I had no training in teaching. My wife is a trained school teacher, so every Sunday afterward, I, as we we're driving home, I'd say, "Well, Lisa, how'd it go today?" And she'd <laughs> say, "Oh, you know, Richard, you know, did you notice you never looked up once at anybody?" 
<laughs> oh wow! Now I'm in the furnace, and I'm yeah, now, so, now the know, next person is yeah, the, about my stuff. Yeah, so now the person like so the next week is well, how to go this week, Lisa? Well, why did you only look to the people to your left? You never looked to the right the whole time. You know, next week how to go, Lisa? Well, when Richard, if you ask a question, wait long enough for someone to actually answer it. I mean, it's week after week. I mean, oh, every yeah. week, and I'm just like bombarded. I. So I, but I just sucked it up and said, okay, uh, next week I'll do better, you know? And how did you, how did you real quick? I'm sorry, just, I would love to get into your mindset. Like, how did you, cause, cause a lot of folks, especially like the folks that are training to be in ministry, they just could feel defeated. Like I am such a, what am I doing? I don't need to be in seminary. I can't, I can't even teach. Like, is it, well, what was yeah, no, I, I mean, that's humiliating when you, you know, you can't teach a Sunday school class with three people in it and you're training to be a pastor. But I, but I kept thinking, but God, I know God called me to be here. And, uh, and if, if God helped me, because if I can't teach a Sunday school class with uh, four people, then mm. I surely can't be a pastor. So I, I sort of felt like mm. in this sort of this furnace of small assignments is where you forge your character and your perseverance and your teachable spirit. And your you know, so I, I just kind of hung in there. And one day, I, I'll never forget. I mean, it was like six months later. Uh, we're driving home. I said, well, Lisa, what I, what could I improve? What could I have improved today? <laughs> and uh, she looked at me and said, you know, I don't think I would. Oh, say wow. I, I think I almost had a car accident. I was in such shock, you know, I like, I, couldn't <laughs> I can't see I'm I, crying I, right now. I'm going to pull over. <laughs> you know, and so then I looked around and that class of four people, now we're running like 30 people and mm. we're, we're pushing 40 people. Mm. And before long, we've got more people in that little class of ours than the other four classes in that uh, mm. department combined. Ultimately, they, in, at the end of the day, they disbanded the other four cl classes and just had me teach everybody. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at that, and suddenly I've got 40 to 50 people sitting there, and I'm thinking, how did this happen? And ultimately, a church in Canada heard about me teaching 40 adults every Sunday. And they said, you know, we've got churches in Canada with fewer adults than that. Uh, we need you to get up here and pastor a church. And, and so I, I went to church, pastored it, mm -hmm. and uh, trying to be faithful with that. And after a couple of years, uh, the seminary comes to us and says, you've done such a great job at the, at the church. We want you to come to the seminary and teach others to be a, be a pastor like you were. And, you know, I, I've, never, I've actually never applied for a job in my adult life. Um, I've, I, every job I've ever had has come for me and all I've ever tried to do is just be faithful in a little. And one day as I'm being faithful in a little, someone shows up with a bigger assignment for me to, to do next. And so when mm. people tell me, um, well, you know, how, how do I, what do I do in the future? Or what, I, I feel inadequate to do a big thing. Well, I, I'd say, well, you may be inadequate today. But God's not asking you to do a big thing today. He's asking you to do the next small thing and just to be faithful in the next small thing. And step by step, mm -hmm. you just keep being faithful. What you don't realize is that as you're being faithful in a little thing, you're also growing as a leader, as a person in your Christ likeness. Mm -hmm. And you're not the same person you were back when you had that first small assignment. You're a bigger person now. And now God's given you a bigger assignment. And, and one day... You know, when I stood there in front of all those CEOs and I'm teaching them and they're all taking notes and asking me questions. And I mean, some of those people literally have over a million employees and they're taking notes from what I'm saying. I remember at one point just having this crazy thought is like, 
Lord, how on earth did I get in a position where I'm teaching people like this? Mm-hmm. And God just reminded me, he said, remember back in that little class where you just kept attending, you didn't have any role, no, no position, uh, just you and one other couple coming to this very boring class. Mm-hmm. Well, you were faithful in a little when mm-hmm. it just was just not even leading. It was just being a good follower. Mm-hmm. And because you kept being faithful, now look where I've got you. Just mm-hmm. one step of obedience at a time. So, you know, don't, don't worry about the big plan. Just mm-hmm. ask yourself, are you being faithful in a little, t- whatever the little thing is God gave you today, be faithful with that. Uh, build a track record of faithfulness. And over time, that's going to lead to bigger doors opening for you. Well, that's such an amazing story. Because even just considering back to when you said that, hey, I feel God calling me into full-time ministry. I don't want to speak in front of anyone and how, you know, if the Lord had taken you from there to all of a sudden, now you've got to speak in front, front of these CEOs, you probably would have clammed up and probably yeah. shriveled up, you know? Yeah. And God's always saying, don't worry. Like I got it covered. You know, I've got a whole plan. Uh, don't, don't fret about it. And in fact, I think that's a lot of times why God doesn't tell us the end game. Hmm. When I was 18, if God had said, well, one day there'll be people flying in to sit down and hear what you have to say, <laughs> you know, I would have run for the hills, you know, yeah. but, but if God just says, look, just be faithful attending Sunday school. Mm. Uh, okay, I can do that, you know. Uh, and what I didn't realize is that one thing would lead to another to another, and one day God would get me exactly where he wanted me to be. Because but, he, Well, because he's in the business of shaping you as a person. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, he's, he cares yeah. more about you as his son than what you're doing for him in a lot of ways. Right. And, you know, my dad always said that. He said, you know, when people say, well, God's, you, you'll hear, especially pastors, they'll say, well, I, I, God, I felt God calling me to preach. God called me to be a pastor. <laughs> My dad always said, God didn't really call me to preach. He just called me to follow him. Mm. He, just called, he called me into a relationship. And, and while I've been relating to him, that's, that led to preaching, that led to teaching, that led me to all kinds of stuff. But, but the call was ultimately never to a, an activity. It was always to a person. Oh. And, and so don't worry about, well, I don't know if I could and see that was what I had to deal with. I, I don't know if I could preach. I don't know if I could do that. God's saying, I'm, I'm not calling you to do that. I'm calling you to follow me. Mm. And if you follow me, you're going to, you're going to find yourself in some pretty interesting places. Sometimes mm. uh, you, you're going to, if you follow me, you're going to end up some places you never would have dreamed of ever going on your own, but you ended up there because you just kept following where I led you. Um, but, but the, it's about just being with me. That's the call. Mm-hmm. And in the course of time, you may preach some for a while, you may teach, you may mm-hmm. do business, you may be a doctor, you know, you may do all kinds of stuff. That, that's, that's just the forum, that's just the platform mm-hmm. in which you experience your relationship with me. That's so awesome because I think in a lot of ways you, you hear these d- stories of guys who have been in ministry and they get so discouraged because, you know, something went sideways and they're not in ministry anymore and they just feel like they've been abandoned by God because they started with, okay, God accepts me because I'm what, what I'm doing. In a lot of ways, we just, we need to remind ourselves of our acceptance before God in Christ and that he he loves us as we are. And this is part of our discipleship. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've, I've taught, I've, I've walked alongside a lot of pastors who were, uh, you know, oftentimes very immorally fired uh, power mm-hmm. brokers have just voted them out of the church for no fault of their own or whatever else. And the pastor just was completely devastated and bewildered and said, well, I, mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to fulfill my calling. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you're, yeah, you are. You can get up 
and spend all day relating to God, mm. following God, uh, enjoying God's presence. Nobody can prevent you from doing that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Now, can people prevent you from going back and preaching in that particular church? Well, they can. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. not your. That's not your life's calling. Uh. Your calling is to be a follower of Jesus, and you can oh, follow yeah. Him just as much today as you ever have. So, don't. No one can stop you from doing that. But when you get your focus on your activity, then, yeah. you, then you start getting your eyes on the wrong thing. That's so awesome. And that, and that even just goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, that to have a God-sized vision is to be enamored with God first. And then everything fall, flows from that in our vocation and, and even in our day-to-day discipleship. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember my dad, he, he got to a point where there were some men that were kind of jealous of him because God was really using him. And so there, some people did some things to kind of stab him in the back and try to prevent him from getting any more success. And, uh, and, and he got passed over for some jobs that he certainly was the most qualified person to have. And you'd, you would look at that and you'd say, well, Henry, you've been so faithful to God. Why is God letting these smaller people mm. block your path and limit your career? And, yeah. and my dad always said, I mean, at one point he was looked passed over for like three different jobs. Every one of them he was eminently qualified for in our denomination in Canada but he was passed over and people were just bewildered to say, well, Henry, you've, you've, you've walked with God so faithfully. And now these, these denominational executive positions are coming up and you, and you keep being passed over. Mm. And uh, my dad had said, you know, people can keep me out of a job. Nobody can keep me from my calling. Nobody Mm. can prevent me from walking with Jesus and honoring him in my life. That's what my calling is. And I remember at a certain point when it just, the third time that happened and there was a lot of people just starting to say, this just isn't right. You know, why is God not letting uh, Henry get any of these, these denominational mm. posts in Canada? Mm. And my dad just, he actually went into a cabin and got away with God in a, a weekend retreat and just said, God, I just want to make sure I'm okay with you. If I'm okay with you, yeah. it doesn't matter what my job, it doesn't matter if I ever go to a big church or I have a big denominational job. I just, as long as you're happy with where I am with you, everything's good. And God said, Henry, I am perfectly pleased with you. Just relax. You're right where I want you to be. And uh, it was like within two, three weeks after that, my dad was asked to write Experiencing God. Mm. And as soon as he wrote that, his life was propelled into an international ministry that Mm. took him around the world. It took him several times to the White House, to the United Nations, to the Pentagon. Mm. He went to 115 different countries. And he looked back and he thought, you know, it looked like people were keeping me from some little mm-hmm. denominational job in a small denomination in Canada. Mm-hmm. And yet when I just trusted God and stayed with him, God said, mm-hmm. no, you, that, that would, that's way too small for what I want to do with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you around the world. You, you're, you're all fixating on what people can do, but nobody can stop you from being right where God wants you to be. And, and, and there's no one who can keep God from doing in your life what God wants to do. There's, there's nobody powerful enough or evil enough to do that. Even Satan can't do that. Mm. If, if God says, here's what I'm going to do in your life, nobody can close that door on you. So mm. just relax and, tr- and trust that if God's letting a door be closed, it's because God doesn't want you to go through that door anyway. Yeah. Otherwise, blow the door right off the hinges and put you right in. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. So, so, so if, if, I, if I could summarize it, basically – having a, a big view of God, focusing on your relationship with God first. And then as you 
uh, overflowing from that is what has God gifted you with? Like, what has he put in your hand? He's put a staff. What, what are the things that, that excite you? What are the, how, how, as you inter, have interacted with people, what really gets your jets fired? And then what right now is God giving you to be, um, to, to be, to be faithful in. So gifting faithfulness. And then it sounds like also just being patient, right? Just, just being patient yeah. with, with taking, taking the long view. And, you know, you have so many folks who are like, well, I want to lead right now. And why are they passing me over? Like even in your dad's example, in the example of your dad, like, you know, a 25 year old guy who's just got a seminary, you just see that they're so impatient because they're like, well, how, why didn't they hire me to do that? And they're not taking, well, what are you going to be doing when you're 45 and 65 and 85, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and to be content where God's put you for the moment, I, I think it's fine to have a holy ambition to, to want your life to count for as much as possible mm-hmm. to the glory of God. But, uh, but also I think you've got to be content to be where you are. I, that's partly why I've never sent out a resume. I, anywhere I've ever served, even when it was really hard, I thought this is where God put me. So for better, or for worse, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to, you know, I know some people that move to a town to be a pastor or have a job at, a, at just a secular job but they don't even really put down roots because they don't plan to stay there very long, you know? And mm-hmm. I always put down roots wherever I was. God now and then would move me on, but it wasn't because I was looking. It wasn't because I was out there putting resumes out everywhere. It was, this is where God wants me to be, that I'm going to be the best that I can, that I can be at, at this. And I'm going to get to know the community and love what mm-hmm. God's put here and what, what the good things are about this place. And uh, you know, but I, but I, I see some people that are just restless to hurry up through life and get to the end. Oh, and man, that was me. <laughs> it, you know, one of the hardest things for me to learn was that it's about the journey. You know, mm-hmm. if you're journeying every day with God, mm-hmm. then don't, then don't miss the journey. It's so anxious to get to the destination. I, I, you know, I work with a lot of older CEOs as well, who they have all kinds of regrets. Now they're at the end of their career, but they, their family doesn't speak to them. Oh, you know, uh, their their kids are not no longer walking with God, or or they're on their third marriage, and mm-hmm. yeah, they're very successful career wise, but they were in such a hurry to, to advance mm-hmm. their career that they didn't take care of the important stuff mm-hmm. along the way, like family and walk with God, and mm-hmm. and so I tell some folks, look, just 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 today has enough for you to be concerned about. <laughs> so be a good dad today, be a good uh, husband or wife or you know, be a good child of God today, be a good neighbor, be a good friend. Mm. Uh, just do that well today. And mm. when, you, when you get to the end of today, can you just check the box and say everything <laughs> God had for me in this day, yeah. I embraced it fully. And what an awesome day this was. You, you live your life that way. You end up with an awesome life. <laughs> that is so good that, that being content with right now, which also delves back into being faithful with what God has called you to do. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has, or today has enough cares of its own. That's so, (laughs) I mean, in so many ways that's profound because, you know, as so much of the way the world has measured, measured success has, has bled into the church. uh, Oh, for sure. Make a name for themselves or, or, you know, to say, Hey, I want people to quote me. I want, you know, I got to get, I got to hurry up and get to where God's quote unquote called me to be. And you're really pushing back against that and saying, well, God has called you just to be faithful today because tomorrow's not promised. 
Yeah. Well, and we, and we have a tendency to overestimate ourselves. We, you know, mm-hmm. we, like, we're like Peter. It's like, well, God, God they may all forsake you, but like, I, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. And when we say, God, I'm ready to pastor a mega church. You know? <laughs> Why do you got me in this little church? I'm ready yeah. to be a mega church pastor. God was, oh, no, you're not. You know, you'll, you'll be denying me too. <laughs> uh, if you, if, if I put you there right now. So mm-hmm. just, just be content that what I've given you, mm-hmm. um, is right where you need to be for now. And I, now everything I ever was a part of grew while I was there. You know, I've never had anything decline while I was leading. I, I, things have always grown. They've always become uh, better. But I, but, I, but I was content just to stay with that until God finally said, all right, now you've been faithful in a little. I'm going to move you to another place. Um, you know, I, my, my, my first response, if you're pastor a small church and you want to pastor a bigger one, is just, well, grow, grow your little church. Make it bigger, you know. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you, uh, Zellar Scarborough, that he had a, he, he said, you know, if you quit, quit looking for a bigger place to serve, just make the place you're in bigger. <laughs> and if, if he said, if you can't make the place you're in better, you don't deserve to have a better place. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just say, look, if you have an ambition, instead of constantly looking around for the next thing, just bore down where you are and make that place spectacular mm-hmm. and make it the best it's ever been. For for that for that person who is in a, a ministry that you know they haven't seen any kind of numerical growth, how, how would you encourage them to to say, well, that doesn't mean they're not being faithful either. In in that uh, their their thirty person Sunday school class or church is still thirty people. So how how would you talk with them? Because they'd be like, hey, you know, I haven't seen any growth in you know ten years of just kind of sl- you know just slugging it out here. Um, what would you counsel them? Would you say, Hey, well, maybe you need to think through this a little bit more or what, what would you say to them? Well, you know, it, it really depends. I, but I, I would, I would, I might push back gently to say, now, what, what do you determine uh, to be faithful? Hmm. Just because you keep showing up every week does not mean you're faithful. (laughs) You know, there's a lot, you may mean you just got nowhere else to go. You may just mean you're in a rut. Uh, you know, that, because that's been one of the benefits of working half my time in the business world and half my time in the, <coughs> in the business world. If you keep doing the same thing year after year, getting the same results, mm. uh, you, you, you either get fired or you go bankrupt. Mm. But in the church, you can keep mm. doing the same thing year after year with minimal to no results. Mm. And we just call you faithful, you know, huh. hasn't huh. had any growth, hasn't had any fruit. No, mm-hmm. nothing to, to, to point to, to say praise God over, but at least he's been faithful. Well, just showing up doesn't make you faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you five talents. Mm-hmm. Now it's 10. You know, you doubled what I put in your hands. So, uh, so you know, I would, if, if someone had not grown anything in 10 years, I would, I'd be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Now, if I, if I, if I bore down and I found out, well, actually half, you know, the three major factories in that little town all shut down and half the people in the whole community have moved out. And actually, you know, he's lost three quarters of his membership moved out of town, but he's replaced them all. And mm-hmm. so he's broken even, you know, okay, that that's, you did grow. You, mm-hmm. you that's why you were growing a lot of people moving, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, it could be that that town, nope, you know, uh, I mean, there, I remember teaching a class, I'm teaching a class right now at my church that, uh, we keep adding people, but we've sent out a ton of people to teach other classes and be the core group of other classes. So we're, you know, our net 
attendance might be the same, but we've we've started helped start four or five other classes out of our one class. So, you know, sometimes the numbers you 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 dissect it and you realize well you actually have been reaching people, you've been raising up leaders, and then you send them out uh, to other to serve elsewhere. So that's growth. But mm. if you've got the very same people. Mm. And and they don't have they're not any more spiritually mature than they were ten years ago. There mm-hmm. there is I tell you you know you look at John fifteen and it talks about abiding in the vine, uh, and it, then it goes on to say if you if you're not producing any fruit, the vine dress is going to take you away and burn you up. Mm-hmm. If you are producing fruit, God's the vine dresser is going to prune you so that you produce even more fruit. And he goes on to say this is how you bring glory to God that you produce much fruit. Mm. I'll tell you what, you know, don't ever say God's not into numbers. He wants much fruit to come mm. from your life. Now, fruit can mean various things. It's not always in, measured in attendance. There's other ways to see fruit, but he does want you to be fruitful. Mm. And so when I, when I look, if I can't find any fruit coming out of someone's ministry, yeah. they're not being faithful mm. uh, because God expects there to be much fruit coming from our ministry it, and there's lots of ways that that can manifest itself. Uh, but if you can't point to anything to celebrate, you just, you know, you just, for 10 years, you just keep showing up and can't, mm. you can't point to anything and say, look what God did in 10 years. Mm. And first thing I would say is, you know what, you, you need to take a major inventory mm. of how you're leading. Mm. Because what that tells me is you have not grown as a leader in 10 years. Mm. Uh, you'd grown as a leader, you could see the impact. If, if you were, you know, a level three leader when you got here, but now you're a level six leader, you, you, you can tell the difference when someone starts leading at a higher level. There's going to be different fruit being produced. But if you've got the same fruit you had 10 years ago, that tells me you're probably leading the very same way. And I've, I've known lots of people who did that. They, they led exactly the same way for 10 years got exactly the same results for 10 years. And then they want you to believe that they've been faithful. I'd say, no, everywhere I read in the Bible, if you put any time at all serving God, he, he's going to grow you to a, a higher level of mm-hmm. leadership. And, uh, and you're going to see more fruit being produced because you're now leading at a different level. Because that's why I spend a lot of my time, that's where I'm going, why I'm going to Thailand tomorrow, because Everywhere I go, leaders are saying, so tell me, how do I grow as a leader? So that, and I, and I tell people when, when, when we entered into 2019, I said, so do you want to, ha- to have more fruit in your life in 2019 than you had in 2018? Would you like to bring more glory to God in 2019 than you did in the previous year? And everybody always says, well, yeah, I'd like that. And then I said, well, so what are you doing differently this year mm-hmm. from what you didn't do last year? So that you could actually expect different results. Because yeah. if you're doing everything the very same, you can you can wish all you want to have different fruit, but you're doing everything the very same you did last year. Why would you have? Why would you expect anything different than last year? So every year I enter into, I'm always asking myself if I'm going to have greater fruit this year than last. I've got to assume that I'm going to have to do something different at a different level, a different intensity, different a variety, but something's got to be different about how I'm leading and serving or else I'd be a fool to think I'm going to get different results than what I've always had. And uh, I'll tell you what, even when you have an awesome year, I mean, if last year was the best year you ever had as a leader and as a minister, you still can't be content with that. I don't care if it was the most fantastic year you ever had in your life. Pray and say, God, thank you for last year, but this year I want even more. 
I want even more. Mm. Not for my sake, but because I'm serving the king, mm. and I want to offer more to the king this year than I gave him last year. Mm. And that and that really is the key difference, is that it's not so that my name can be great, it's so that I can bring more glory to God. Yeah, because pr- wherever pride enters, the power of God exits. And so mm. if you want if you want the power of God, you can't have pride at the same time. And my life, if, if you're going to see awesome things happen in your life, it's going to be because God's power was in your life. But the moment pride creeps in, you start taking credit. It's about you and your name and what people think of you. Then the power of God exits. And so yeah, you got to keep the focus on God and humility. And then there's really no limit to what God's power can do through your life. How would you, how would you counsel aspiring leaders or leaders that are leading right now to avoid pride? I mean, cause that, that really is setting up, uh, you know, us against God in a lot of ways. So how, how would you, what are some practical steps or things that people can do to guard against that? I'd say we well, could marry well. <laughs> God has blessed me with family and 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 the wife that uh, if you ever get too big of a head, you didn't look to the right when you were teaching. <laughs> uh, you know, but but seriously, part of that is just surround yourself with people that will tell you the truth. Yeah, and will and will and I I most of my life I've had friends and other pastors I met with on a regular basis uh, where I. We held each other accountable. Um, and, you know, if you will not humble yourself, God has an infinite number of ways of humbling you himself. And it's just a lot less painful for you to do it yourself than to let God. But but God has a vested interest in your humility. And so he can bring you down if you won't lower yourself. So I've always just felt like I'd rather humble myself before God felt obliged to do it mm. himself. So... You know, I, I think whenever, again, if, if you keep your eyes in the right place, it's mm-hmm. not hard to stay humble. If you, yeah. if your eyes start getting on yourself and on, or other people, comparing yourself to other people and what they have, what they do, pride is inevitable. But if you get your eyes on God, you, you can't see God as he is and still be filled with pride. Mm-hmm. You show me a proud man or woman, I'll show you someone who's taking their eyes off of God. Mm-hmm. Because standing before the throne of God, there's no pride there. Mm. Because now you see him as he is, which then helps you see yourself as you are. Mm-hmm. And you realize that what you have is simply because God has graciously mm-hmm. protected you and blessed you and given you things that you, you never could have produced on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just been good to you. And you, you just live a life of gratitude because of God's goodness. But the moment you get your eyes off of him, you start to look at yourself uh, and get fixated on yourself, you're going to start taking credit. You're going to start looking bigger in your eyes than you really are. And uh, that's sad. It's just, you start into a spiral that will eventually take you down one way or another. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you think about an inventory or characteristics or qualities uh, in a leader, specifically uh, in spiritual leadership, which I want you to uh, share a little bit in a minute, but uh, I want to put a pin in this question uh, in that question for right now to, to ask you this question that we've talked about pride and how that is something that will be your demise eventually. Uh, talked about trying to essentially make excuses for why there's no fruit in a ministry because I'm quote unquote being faithful, but we've, you've challenged that saying, if you're faithful, you'll also be fruitful that those things are not antithetical to each other, but they inform one another. Um, what other 
qualities or characteristics would you say to someone who is a leader aspiring to lead others that they need to be on the lookout for to develop themselves? Cause you, you just, you mentioned, you know, if you want to, if you want to grow as a person, uh, what can you do differently? So, so what are some, so what are some areas that somebody could say, I, I need to, I don't even know what areas to grow in. You know, I don't know what qualities I need to develop. What, what would you tell them? Yeah. Well, a lot, there's a number of things. One is that just, you need to be growing leaders or self-aware leaders. They, mm-hmm. you take honest inventory and you, and you know, maybe you, maybe you struggle with people skills. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you just, you know, you, and I mean, you, maybe you rub people the wrong way. Maybe you're just very aggressive, outspoken, confident uh, person and you rub people the wrong way. You, you, you bully them, not intentionally, but you just kind of, you know, push past people. And if you stop and you take an inventory, you begin to realize, well, what if I, what's the feedback I've got? How do people mm-hmm. respond to me? Mm-hmm. How does my, what is my supervisor promoting me or is he holding me back because he sees some things in me that just aren't ripe yet? Uh, and, you know, so you've you got to be self-aware, uh, you know, t- get some people around you that will tell you the truth. Um, mm-hmm. And it, so that's one. Another, just have a teachable spirit. Uh, you know, it, it, to me, like I said, the, when I work with these CEOs, these guys are leading billion-dollar companies. They fly in on corporate jets, uh, but they, but like they'll fly literally all the way from Hong Kong uh, to Dallas just for a 24-hour class. And, and that exudes humility. You know? and I'm, yeah, and I'm looking. At, you got a room full of guys who've done that. And you're, one, I remember I had one class. Uh, one couple uh, had flown in from Germany, straight from Germany. Another had flown in straight from Indonesia, right to Dallas. And then this guy from Hong Kong all the time. And it's like they're jet lagged. They're busy. They've got all kinds of people waiting to hear from them. And they're sitting in a class taking notes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why, why would they do that? Like anybody would excuse them for mm-hmm. being too busy uh, to do this. And yet it's like, well, maybe that's why they are so mm-hmm. successful. Mm-hmm. Because they, they keep making time. They, they don't let the busyness of their schedules push out learning mm-hmm. uh, and so again like the, the, one of the things I'll, I'll often ask people is uh, when I'm with them partly to test them and partly just for my own uh, benefit I'm always asking people so what are you reading right now you know hey do you have you read I'll often say have you read a good book lately you'd recommend and I always you know people will give me they'll say hey yeah this this great book uh, I just read I, I really found this uh, really insightful and mm-hmm. I'm sitting here on my iphone you know on amazon ordering it right then you know it's already waiting i've had literally the the book will be waiting for me when i get home you know from that trip um but then i ask other people and they can't even think of one book Mm. they've read Mm. i I had a pastor one time an associate pastor and he said huh that's a good question he said i've (laughs) I've read something he said i i just can't i can't think of it and he's and he never did he finally like kind of thought of a book he read a couple years ago and uh, so later I talked to his senior pastor and his senior pastor had said mm-hmm. to me, I, I, when he, he, this senior pastor, he, he was having some issues in his church where, some th- where he wasn't experiencing the growth he thought he should. And uh, so my initial response was, well, just based on what you told me, I'm guessing you've got some underperforming staff. Because, <laughs> uh, I just said, uh, just from the, the data you've given yeah. me, what, you are, what I know you're doing as a senior pastor I'm, I'm guessing you got some staff that aren't growing. And he kind of looked at me funny, like I just nailed it, but you know, he wasn't going to show all of his cards yet. So he just, 
So he just had me meet with all of his staff. Just he'd, he'd have a staff person take me to lunch or pick me up at my hotel in the morning, whatever. But over time, I'd spent time around most of his, his senior staff. And, and I always asked them, you know, what are you reading? And that, so I'd ask this guy, what are you reading? Well, I couldn't even think of a book. Mm. So I, I came back at the end of that time to the senior pastor and said, I think I found two people on your staff I'm concerned with. And I mentioned the two people and he just kind of hung his head and said, I think you nailed it. That's the area where our church is not growing in their areas, but they're not growing. They got their job. They got the position that they wanted. So why grow? Why, why read a book? I'm in the job I always wanted. I'm getting paid what I always wanted to get paid. So I don't need to grow anymore. I've got the job. Oh, man. Yeah. And I'd say what a horrible, horrible oh, anti-leader sort of way of thinking. Um, mm. Every year, I want to do a better job. I want to hit the ball farther next year than I hit it this year. Uh, I'm never satisfied just to keep doing the same thing, bearing just the same amount of fruit that I did last year, because I'm serving God. And mm. this is about His kingdom. And there, and literally, there's eternity at stake. Yeah. I can't just be satisfied to say that's good enough. Uh, but there are some people. So anyway, I'll talk to other folks, and they've got like 10 different books that they've got on the go. You know, they've, they've got one in their car. They've got one in their computer bag. They've got one by their bed table. They've, I mean, no matter where they are, they've got a book they're working on. And you realize it's not that they just like to read. It's that they like to learn. Mm. They, like, they like to grow. And so, I mean, you, there's lots of ways to grow. You can go to conferences. You can listen to audio books. You can listen to podcasts. There's lots of ways to grow. But where's the evidence? Great leaders are people that keep making that a priority their whole life. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of folks talking about how oh, I can't find any leaders in my church. I can't find any leaders in this ministry that I'm leading. Um, you, you you made it very practical to say, well, it, find the person who's wanting to learn and is proactive in reading books and learning and wanting to grow. And there, that's one area. Are are there other places or in other qualities that you could if somebody's saying i want to help mentor you know yeah. future leaders what 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 kind of quality well, other qualities should they well, look for? You, you know there's a there's different levels of leadership and one the lowest level of leadership is leaders who lead followers you know who lead sheep but higher level leaders lead leaders and i know especially in there are a lot of pastors who cannot lead leaders. All mm. they can lead is followers. And so mm. as long as people are just willing to serve and just be told what to do, then this pastor does fine. But all of a sudden, a successful businessman joins his church. <laughs> and, and, he and, doesn't the know guy, what to do. and the businessman's got 500 employees working for him, and he's in a church of 100, and the pastor can't organize even just to get the, the bathrooms clean before Sunday. Uh, the, the business person is going to start to... Either the lead, if if you if you can't, I'll tell you, I'm I've, I've been a leader all my life, and um, leaders can follow. Like I can follow someone. I don't have to be in charge. I'm a leader, but if if I join some place and they have a leader already, tell me what you want me to do. You know, tell me how you want me to serve. But but what leaders do is they're always kind of checking out who the leader is. Like a leader checks out another leader pretty quickly, and figures out is this person a leader or not. Is this person leading? Are they, or are they out of control? Do they? And if you feel intimidated by me, if you feel threatened by me because I'm a confident leader myself, you're going to send out all kinds of vibes saying mm. you're you feel threatened. You. Huh. Uh, so when I, if I see a pastor who says I've got no leaders in my church, I'm going to. One of my first questions: 
what is it about your leadership that is not attractive to other leaders? Why is it that it the leaders are attracted to come join? I said, what is it about your leadership that is not attractive to other leaders? Uh, why is it no other leader wants to come serve with you? Uh, why is it that no young person is being inspired to lead as they've been around your leadership? I've known pastors that have been in the same church for 30 years, and in 30 years never had one person feel called into ministry under their ministry. Um, my dad, and even when I was a pastor, I had people feel called every year. Uh, because I, I tried to be the kind of leader who inspired other people to want to lead as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I tried to be the kind of leader that other uh, successful leaders would say, hey, I'd love to serve, I'd love to go to church led by that guy, because uh, he's a leader and he understands leaders and he speaks my language and uh, I can respect him uh, and serve under him. But if, uh, if a pastor who's been in a church for several years says I've got no leaders, that's an indictment on the pastor, not on the people. Huh. Uh, that means that nobody has been inspired. It's, it's kind of like I had a pastor one time say to me, well, no one in my church wants to pray. I've got, nobody wants to pray. And I asked him, I said, how long have you been at that church? He said, 15 years. I said, and who do you think your people hear pray more than anyone else? Well, he thought about it and he said, I guess it would be me. They hear me pray from the pulpit maybe two, three times a service. I said, okay, so after 15 years of exposure to your prayer life, why is it nobody is interested in prayer? I said, do you understand? You're the model. You're the inspiration. Uh, and when Jesus prayed with his disciples, they all turned to him and said, teach us how to pray. I mean, after hearing you pray, it inspires us to want to pray like that as well. And after seeing, other, after seeing the pastor serving God, it ought to inspire others to say, well, help me to serve God. Help me to know how to do that seeing the pastor lead, I'd inspire others to say, well, I feel like God may be wanting me to be a leader. Help me to do that. But if you've been there year after year and no one is inspired by your leadership, by your example, I would, I would take that as an indictment on my ministry. Mm. And say, then God, my ministry has not inspired anyone else to want to follow in my footsteps and to follow my model. Paul said, just model after me, just imitate me. He said, uh, I'm giving you an example. Try to keep up. You know, I'm trying to set you a standard that would be inspiring. And he had a whole host of young men that were always in and out with his group, uh, serving with him because they just want to be around him. Uh, my dad and even I had people, I had people quit. I, I had people take cuts in pay to come work with me. They literally said, I'll take less money if I can just be around someone that I can enjoy working with. And, uh, so when, you, when you're a good leader, you don't even have to pay the most money. Uh, people just want to be around you just because just they, they know that they will grow because they were around you. So, uh, and, and, and I also just had an eye for leaders. When I saw like teenagers that faithfully came to church every week, I, and I knew that their parents maybe weren't believers, that they had to face resistance just to get there. And I, I know, and I, I listened to them asking really insightful questions. I see them trying to serve in the church. I, I just recognized uh, people that were emerging leaders and I'd come around them and I'd give them more, I'd, I'd encourage them and I'd, I'd meet with them. I'd say, listen, I'd like to go for breakfast with you and just talk to you about what God's doing in your life. And uh, over the years, I, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've helped along the leadership path just because real leaders recognize other leaders. Mm -hmm. And even if they're just emerging, Truly, now non-leaders don't recognize that. 
if you're not a leader yourself, you don't recognize leadership in others. Mm. But if you are truly a leader, you'll recognize emerging leadership in other people as well. And you'll just make a beeline for that. And uh, I used to meet with groups of people. I, I used to have meet every week with six men. I was mentoring all the time. And I handpicked those men. I, I looked for people I saw great potential in. And I invited them and said, uh, I'd like to invest in your life. Uh, but if, if someone has been in a place a long time and doesn't have anybody in leadership, I've known pastors that when they retired, when they left the church, I mean, the next Sunday, the church couldn't even organize itself to collect an offering. Mm. Like it, there, it had so little leadership training. Mm. The pastor just did everything. The moment the pastor was gone, they literally didn't know where the offering plates were, how to collect the offering. And it's like, what did that pastor do? He, he just, it sounded like he was doing everything. And that, that, yeah, and he, and he had no, he didn't have a clue how to, to uh, raise up other leaders. And that typically means he wasn't really a leader himself. He was a servant. Yeah. And so he served, but he didn't know how to lead. So he, he certainly wasn't capable of reproducing himself because he wasn't a leader himself. And, and it's almost as if the, that a person that is in that, that vein that hasn't raised anybody up is... is is um, afraid of giving away that kind of authority and that kind of power because they're, they're wrapping their identity up in that itself. Yeah. And you know, I, I know people, if, if you are content in yourself, if you, if you truly are a leader, mm. then it, you don't need a position to, to mm. lead. you know, I, I, when I, when I left being a pastor, I went to a, a I became a seminary president. I, so I just joined a local church and everybody wanted me to be on a committee. Um, and I just said, no, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I just was a pastor. I was at all of our committee meetings. I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But I knew I was a leader. And yeah. so the pastor would come to me and just say, Hey, I've got this problem. I don't know what to do. Mm. And I would say, well, Hey, let me, let me see if I can't help you with that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't need a position, you know, don't give me a title. Yeah. I, I, let me just solve some problems for you. And I tackled two of the biggest problems he had in his church. And just said, hey, that's, but I, I don't need a title. I don't need yeah. to be, because I know who I am. I'm very happy with what I do and, and I, where I get my affirmation from. Mm -hmm. So I can serve, but, uh, you know, I, but, so if you're really, if you're truly a leader, then position is not a big deal to you. Like my dad, probably his greatest influence was after he retired, you know, mm -hmm. and he, he had no position, no budget. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to be around him because of who he was, not because of his title. Mm -hmm. If you need a title to have influence, <laughs> then you're not yeah. not really a leader. You're just yeah, an because officer. it's grounded in it's grounded in who you are, as opposed to okay, yeah. somebody conferred this upon you. It's like it's it's part of your you know ontology, as it were. It's like the very makeup of who God's made you to be. Yeah, and I see people just craving a position, a title. Mm -hmm. I I know people that that every year they want to upgrade even just their their job title to make it sound <laughs> a little more exalted. You yeah, know? Yeah. and it's like you know it doesn't. It it. You know, you missed the whole point. If you need a more exalted title to feel like you're somehow a better leader, then you you're not really a leader at all. Yeah. Richard, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time and I'm so thankful. And there are so many more questions. And in fact, if I could just uh, pepper you with two more questions and then you can give short answers to them. They don't have to, you know, um, because I, I think it's really important for people to hear this as it relates to leadership, uh, generally speaking, but then leadership as pertains to the church. And so if you were to say what one of the biggest missing elements of leadership is in, uh, 
both in business, but also in the church, what, what would you say if you were to just put a bow on it, so to speak, the, the biggest missing element as it relates to leadership, uh, what, what would it be and how do, how would we remedy that challenge? You know, I, I, but it might be something to circle back around. We just talked about, but uh, <laughs> spiritual leadership is being led by the spirit and the spirit of God can, he knows every weakness you have as a leader. He knows uh, if there's pride, uh, he knows how you could be more fruitful. The spirit of God is not at a loss to know how to make you a better leader than you are already, mm. but you've got, to, you've got to be sensitive to his guidance. Mm. And if you're listening to the spirit, He'll let you know when you when pride starts creeping in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you start getting lazy, or if you start getting tempted, uh, distracted, um, you know, if, if you've got people skill issues, the spirit of God can help mm. you deal with those. Uh, if there's an inadequacy somewhere as a leader, the spirit of God knows how to correct that. Mm. But if you're really truly surrendered to Him, there is there's no inadequacy you have that the spirit of God cannot remedy and mm. empower and bless. But um, and so whether you're in a secular setting or a Christian mm-hmm. setting, this, if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. the Spirit of God knows the future. He knows how to prepare you. He knows what God intends for you. Uh, God knows, the Spirit of God knows where God's working and how to involve you in that. Um, but, and, and that's a lot of what we teach these CEOs is how can you be Spirit-led while you're leading a Fortune 500 company? Mm-hmm. Does the Spirit of God know how to handle mm-hmm. those situations? And if, mm-hmm. of course he does. So I'd say worry less about yourself and more about being just walking in sync with the Spirit's guiding. And mm. day by day, the Spirit of God can guide you to go to the right or the left, mm. to slow down, to speed up, to, to mm. speak up or to be quiet. He can guide you day by day and prepare you for what's coming if you'll let him. Mm. And, uh, and so don't, don't think it's just, uh, you know, I've known a lot of really young, energetic, visionary uh, young leaders who burned out along the trail because it was just how fast and hard they could run up the trail and uh, they wore themselves out. They got distracted, discouraged, and the spirit of God could have helped them make great progress Mm -hmm. in his perfect timing and his strength if uh, they'd just been in sync with him. And so I just say, don't get ahead of the spirit, trust him that he'll, he'll move you just as quickly as he knows you can handle. And if he leaves you in a place for a while and says, I just want you to be faithful, then, then just be content to be faithful where he's left you. But if you're in sync with the spirit, you'll, you'll be amazed at what you'll end up having accomplished at the end of the day. And, and you'll enjoy the journey while you're at it. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I, and I, that honestly answers the second question, namely the difference between spiritual leadership and worldly leadership and just this sensitivity to the spirit and, and letting him guide you as we've been informed by, by God's word. Cause I think a lot of times we see our lack of qualities as leaders and we think, okay, I just really need to work on that. It's like, well, what you need to be quiet before the Lord and, and let him do a work inside of you before you start to work on the tactics of being a leader. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's, it's far more about your surrender than your commitment. You know, mm. there's a lot of leaders trying to commit themselves to be more disciplined and focused, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And you do need to be willing to work on your skills, yeah. but, but what you surrender to the spirit often is a lot more significant than what you mm. commit. To. Mm. And you just put yourself on the altar and let him uh, do whatever he wants with your life. Uh, that's so freeing. You know, it's mm. uh, so freeing to know that just trust 
your career, your future into the Spirit's hands. Mm-hmm. And, um, he won't he won't disappoint you. He, he won't be at a loss to know what to do with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, you know, in the end of the day, it's you, you put whatever you have, whatever inadequacies or weaknesses or struggles, you put you on the table, and then you add the Holy Spirit to that table. You've got everything that you need uh, to accomplish whatever God has for you. That's great, Richard. This has been a clinic and very. Uh, very helpful, I think, to, not only to me, but I think to so many people that are going to be listening to this podcast. And I was wondering if you could um, just close us by by praying and uh, just praying for the things that we we've talked about here, and uh, and then we'll we'll uh, close out the podcast. Sure, Lord, I want to thank you for this time and just the way that your word sets people free. You said in John eight thirty two that when people knew the truth, they'd be set free by it. And so I pray even though for those listeners. Uh, who've been listening in, Lord, that, uh, I, and I know that uh, words that we speak can't change a life, but uh, your truth can. And when your spirit takes something that's said and then applies it very specifically to someone's life, that uh, you can do amazing things. And so I pray, Lord, that those who've been listening, rather than trying to dissect each thing and, mm-hmm. and uh, analyze or critique, they would just have a heart that's open to whatever it is you would want to do in their life. And, uh, Lord, that just uh, every experience, every podcast, every book we read, every sermon we hear, we just have our life opened uh, that we might just gain something to be just a little bit more like Christ because of what we heard, a little more effective, a little more fruitful. God, we don't want to just keep leading the same way we have been. Uh, we, wanted, we want more fruit. We want to bring you more glory than we've ever brought you before. And so, Lord, uh, we don't want to stay where we are. It will cost other people for us to remain as we are. Mm. We, we want to go to a, a deeper place, a better place. And so help us to do that, Lord. You know how to get us there. Uh, you're never bewildered. You're never at a loss. You're never out of resources. Uh, no one can close the door to you that you intend to take us through. And so help us to trust you. Help us to place our life, our career, our leadership into your hands and trust you know what you're doing. And it will just keep yielding to every prompting that you have in our life. We'll end up being and doing all that you intended for us when you first thought of us and placed us on this planet. Help us to live the one life we have well in a way that honors you and brings you much glory and uh, results in much joy as we live our life and as others walk with us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.